We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. You look at the Lakers. They're, they're a good young team right now. They add LeBron. You automatically have a chance to win a championship when you have LeBron because he's arguably the best player the league has seen. Lance Stevenson's a good pickup. I like his versatility, his size. He's not afraid of the moment. Obviously, he brings a little extra with the antics coming from New York City and being that high-level energy player. Russell Westbrook is a killer on the court. He's an animal. He's a dog. He'll do whatever it takes to win. He can be feisty, fierce. He can be ruthless and violent at times in terms of his demeanor and his aggressiveness. But off the court, he's as nice as it gets, man. Welcome to the 14th episode of Pull Up. Appreciate all you guys hanging in there with us and listening to us ramble about sports more specifically basketball. We got a lot to talk about on this week's pod, especially because of the fact that free agency has started. And there's a lot going on in the league right now. There's LeBron going to the Lakers. There's Boogie shocking the world and going to the Warriors. There's a lot of great role players getting signed or traded to certain teams. Shout out to my guy Thrill getting getting another deal done. And Denver got a lot of friends out there uh, who are in a position to continue to succeed. So looking forward to seeing how the NBA shapes up. Also got to shout out my homie, Brandon Martin, who uh, is getting married in August. We had a bachelor party in Miami. Great time. Derek Jeter actually stopped by the table, talked to my friend uh, while we were at Komodo, provided shots of 1942 for the table. Later on, ran to Drizzy. Shout out to Drizzy for a great album, by the way, Jordan. We may have to talk about the album briefly. Uh, talked to Drizzy for a little bit about the album, about the success he's having, and he also provided us with some shots of Don Julio. So it was it was an overall great weekend for my friend, one he will always remember. And now, a week we always will remember because of the fact that Boogie has decided to take $5 million to go to the Warriors. First, Jordan, thoughts on Bron to the Lakers. I feel like we kind of knew this was going to happen. But then the... The war the Warriors kind of take over the week by 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 the announcing the signing of Demarcus Cousins, who surprisingly signed for five million dollars. Yeah, leave it to the Warriors of all teams to take over the shine for the Lakers. But yeah, I, we both thought for a while I think that LeBron was going to be a Laker, and they get it done. And then now with with Boogie going to the Warriors as the uh, gatekeepers of the West, it's just an unbelievable. You know, embarrassment of riches of talent, and obviously the 5.4 million is 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 a long term play for him because he he wanted the short term max, he couldn't get it. Uh, now he goes to the Warriors where he can get healthy, play fewer minutes, win a ring, and then go after the max next year. So uh, I saw on Twitter that you jeez, posted. Jeez. Uh, Don't get ahead of yourself with the win a ring. Well, Give I'm just saying if, if everything falls chance. in line, this is what his thought process is. <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm not getting ahead of myself, but. Uh, no, I, I just think it's a. you can look at it two ways. It's great for the league. It's terrible for the league. Either way, it's interesting. But I saw that on Twitter. You you said, hey, Boogie, what's going on? You know, And, and then you said that you texted him, uh, you were on the plane. So what was your reaction and what was uh, Boogie's thought process, you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was just as shocked as anybody else. I was flying back to Oregon uh, from Miami. And 
my girl shows me her phone right before I fall asleep, and it says Demarcus Cousins is signed with the Golden State Warriors. And I'm like, stop playing with me, like stop playing. And she's like, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, whatever. And I go to sleep, and my phone's off because it's on airplane mode. And I wake up and I sign into Twitter, and it's actually real. I'm seeing like verified accounts, like Woj. I'm seeing, you know, obviously the NBA accounts and, and most of the the world the world has seen your your uh, tweets as well. And seeing me, I, and I basically was like, "Wow, this is this is actually happening." So the first thing I thought was, "I got to text Cuz, I got to see what's going on." So I tweeted it, just so he knew that, "Yo, I'm about to hit your line," because <laughs> obviously everybody has social media anyway. But I didn't think it was gonna be such a big deal and go viral because I've known Cuz for a little bit now, and um, I just kind of asked him like, "What's going on, bro? Like, <laughs> like, come on, Cuz, what is you doing? Like, why why did you choose like why <laughs> you choose the Warriors out of all the teams?" And uh, he, he basically. You know, told me some of his reasons why we talked. We talked a little bit about the situation, obviously, with the, him recovering from his Achilles and kind of the stigma that's that's been attached to him for for quite some time. And I was just I was just more interested in the decision making process of, you know, why it came down to that. I felt like he would have had more offers, more teams interested in his ability. Obviously, is off the charts. And I, I told him jokingly, like you can. You can get 20 and 10 with, with one Achilles, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how talented you are. It's just about getting healthy, being in the right situation and being happy. But I don't blame him, man. Cuz is a good dude. He's got to do what's best for him and his family. And if he didn't have a lot of um, good opportunities on the table for for him himself and his career, he has to do whatever it takes. And I'm not sure the extent of the situation, but I heard there's rumors that he actually called uh, Bob Myers himself and spoke to him. But um, honestly, um, it makes the NBA a lot more interesting. Uh, we, we continue to hog the spotlight even in the offseason. I think we have the best league in sports um, in terms of, you know, how fun the game is, how versatile the game is, how everyone, you know, seems to be interested in not only in the United States but in Asia and Europe and everywhere else, you know, across the globe, how we're able to engage and interact with fans in season, out of season, and the importance of free agency. It, it's such a crazy week that we didn't even talk about Paul George signing with the Oklahoma City Thunder and Russell Westbrook flying in reportedly from vacation to come back for the party and they had Nas perform at the party which is super dope but it's just a it's just a really really interesting week in general with free agency because you never know what's going to happen there's a lot of moving parts a lot of teams you know over the cap are trying to get under the cap and, and figure out ways to improve obviously there's a big jump coming in, in 2019 2020 2020 2021 season where the, they expect the cap to raise so it's really going to be interesting. But no, that tweet wasn't wasn't a joke. Like, I really text guys. We really talked uh, for a little bit, had to see what was going on. And um, uh, I, I appreciate him keeping it real with me. He always keeps it real. And I, I can respect that. And I got to get him on. We got to get him on the pod and KD because I text KD as well. So we got to get both of them on the pod ASAP. Yeah, no, I, I'm fascinated by Boogie because there is a perception around the league that, you know, he's kind of this immature um, you know, selfish guy, but then you talk to players, and he's one of those guys that's that's really well liked. Can you shed some light, CJ, into into Demarcus the person more so than the player, just for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I've never played with Cuz, but I've been around him, and I was we was together in Africa um, last year when we played in the uh, Global Games. So the, uh, it was a great time. You know, he's a, he's a very very likable guy in terms of the stuff he does in the community. I know he's. He he got that he had that viral moment where he was emotional in this store. I think he he was doing like a celebration, you know, kind of his his last you know goodbye dinner in Sacramento. You can kind of see the emotion and, and how sad he was. But he does a lot of stuff in the community, you know, continuing to empower kids who look like us and come from places like us. And and just in terms of his his uh, 
passion on the court. Obviously, Cuz gets a lot of technicals. He'd be wilding out at times and uh, can rub certain people the wrong way and, and has a, a stigma based on his history of, you know, the way he carries himself on the court. But I only know him off the court, and the guy I see off the court is very, very nice. I think it's similar to, obviously, him and Russell Westbrook are two different players with two different, you know, histories and, and stigmas that followed him. But Russell Westbrook is a killer on the court. He's an animal. He's a dog. He'll do whatever it takes to win. He can be feisty. He can be fierce. He can be ruthless and violent at times in terms of his demeanor and his aggressiveness. But off the court, he's as nice as it gets, man. Very, very nice guy. I always tell people, you know, he's one of the guys that he'll take a picture with your grandma. He'll sign your little cousin's shoes, you know, whatever the case may be. And that that's rare that you get that from from superstar caliber athletes. A lot of times they don't they don't want to take the time to do certain things off the court. But him along with a lot of other guys like KD, they're they're very good with taking pictures. Even Draymond, a lot of players, Curry. Brian, they're good with taking pictures, you know, with people's family members, and regardless of how they act or play on the court, uh, you see a different side. But uh, people were making a big deal of my tweet. It was more so like just I know, cause I wanted to see what what was going on with the decision making process, why it ended up being this way, and um, just wanted to kind of touch base. Yeah, that was all. That was the extent of it. Obviously, obviously. People will take it, <laughs> take it any way possible, and me not me not knowing what's going on in free agency at all, being on a plane, like I have no idea what's going on. I just seen it, and I had to ask what was going on. Well, the Warriors now have uh, between Cousins, Dre, Clay, Steph, and KD, twenty five combined All Star games, and uh, it, you know it's just an unbelievably talented team that just got better. Looking around with LeBron and PG because those guys were linked. We had talked a lot about them you know, potentially both going to L.A. What's interesting for me about Paul George is that when the Thunder traded for him with Indiana, CJ, they they didn't even reach out to his camp. They didn't talk to his agent, Aaron Mintz. They didn't talk to PG about, hey, would you consider re-signing here long-term? And they bet on themselves and their culture, um, the fact that they could essentially recruit him every day, and it paid off in a big way because had they lost PG, even with Russ, they would have been rudderless, you know, over $70 million combined with, with Adams and Russell and really not a lot of flexibility elsewhere. Now they, they're able to, you know, right the ship, if you will, or keep it going forward. And, you know, it's really surprised me. It was, to me, one of the more interesting moves that we've ever seen in free agency, given that he's from L.A., going into his ninth year uh, and had an opportunity to go home. So what was your take on that, and, and why do you think he ended up staying? Well, I've said all along that he was going to L.A., so I, I, I'll say it on the record. I was wrong um, about my about my prediction of, about him going to L.A. I th- well, I thought he was going there, too. I think it was more so the comfort he felt. He felt comfort. He felt love. They have a great... They have a great, great support system out there in Oklahoma City. They, they, they develop players. They tender. They care to their players well, and the fans love them, love them with all their heart. You see the welcome... Essential, essentially the welcome parade they put on after the playoffs and, and when certain players yeah. arrived, obviously when Melo arrived, they had the they had the fans lined up at the airport outside the fences to take pictures and, and you know, pr- proceed to just shake hands and potentially wave at a player. So you've seen that. Obviously the money is, it is what it is. He's going to make a lot of money regardless of the situation. But, you know, having four more years with Russell Westbrook, with potentially Carmelo Anthony, unless he's bought out, you know, being in the Western Conference, having that support system and help, maybe he just felt like that was a better situation than him going to L.A. And you also have to remember the situation, you know, with him being in L.A., family being there, the pressure for tickets, for games, and the headache that, that comes with being so close to home. Obviously, 
LeBron's gone through with his entire career, where for the most part being in Cleveland and the the demands that the stresses that you have playing at home increase exponentially based on where you grew up at because you're you're more easily accessible uh, being in the hometown. I think that factored into why Kevin Durant didn't end up going to to the Wizards, being so close to home, and obviously, you know, him making a decision to to go to Silicon Valley, but. I think you look at you look at their roster. They signed Nerlens Noel, which is a good pickup. They got uh, Grant for three years, twenty-seven million. They're they're doing some damage, but they're they're going to have to figure out a way to get under the cap because that dollar for dollar is going to hurt them. And there's there's rumors about a potential buyout with with, with, with Melo. Yeah, maybe Melo ends up trying to go to the Lakers. But the Lakers are the Lakers are making moves, man. They got Javale McGee, Lance Stevenson, Rondo. What do you think is going to happen with this? So that's exactly situation. Yes. Yeah, Lonzo, Lance. So we, we made it about 10-plus minutes without really getting into the Lakers, but Mr. McCollum, I, I, I can't wait any longer. So, okay, they get LeBron, no surprise, but then they go out and they sign KCP to $12 million, which I thought was way too much. I, I know he's a good player, but um, <laughs> you know they, they gave him a lot. They get Lance Stevenson, who's kind of been his, his thorn in the side, and, and, and they get McGee, who, who played great in the finals. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, LeBron said, as we know, against the Warriors in the finals, I, I need intelligent, high IQ guys. Uh, Lance Stevenson is is interesting as a you know there's there's a nice dichotomy there, so we'll see how that works out. And then on another level with Lonzo, you know I actually think Lonzo's a pretty good player. My biggest question mark is well, it's twofold. When LeVar starts to squabble with with LeBron, how does that play out? And then two. You know, Lonzo is somebody who can really pass but really struggles shooting the basketball. How does that play out? Because he's not going to have the ball as much in his hands. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're going to do with this situation. I know there's rumors that essentially state that they will allow Rondo and Lonzo to play for the position. There's no guaranteed starter penciled in. Obviously, the rumors were leaked. Right. The rumors were leaked about Lonzo's meniscus, having some issues with that, but they say he'll be ready for training camp. I don't know if his, if his knee's actually bothering him or if that was strategic game planning to try to prevent a trade from happening um, in the open market because of the, the fear that he may not pass his physical or the fear that a team may not want to accept on an, an injured player. But either way, Rondo's a very, very good player, high-level IQ. He's seasoned. Brian will like him because of his his respect around the league, his knowledge of the game, his defensive intensity, ability to empower players around him, and his playoff experience. As you said before, he likes to play with intelligent players who have experience. Lonzo Ball is a very good player. He's young. He's going to he's going to continue to learn, continue to grow. Shots going to continue to develop. And uh, it's just you just wonder if there's if there's a potential Kawhi trade looming, a potential piece looming. But I would imagine the Spurs would rather have Kuzma. They'd probably rather have Kyle Kuzma. Uh, than ball at this point because of the development of DeJounte Murray in San Antonio and how he has that defensive presence, you know, making the second team all defense. And it's essentially his first year playing full-time minutes in the league. So I look forward to seeing how how this roster pans, like what happens. Lance Stevenson's a good pickup for them. I like his versatility, his size. He's not afraid of the moment. Obviously, he brings a little extra with the antics and some of his 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 ways coming from New York City and being that high level energy player. But he's not afraid of the moment. He's going to take big shots, make big shots, make plays, and he can guard potentially, you know, big wings and small wings in this league, which is going to be necessary in the Western Conference. And you you go and look through you look through all the teams who potentially sign players. Julius Randle goes to the Pelicans. DeAndre Jordan stays in the West, goes to the Mavs. Um, Will Barton stays in the West. Uh, the Nuggets extend him. 
um, continue to look through the roster and you look at the the Clippers. The Clippers have a very, very good defensive backcourt with Avery Bradley, you know, re-signing on. Oh. So it's just like it, it just continues that teams are finding wings. Bradley, Beverly. And Gilgis Alexander. Right, right. And then you go look at the Spurs. They re-sign Rudy Gay. They bring on Marco Bellinelli, who's a sharpshooter scorer off the bench. So all these teams are loading up. Even, even the Phoenix Suns, they bring in a veteran, Trevor Ariza, who secures his bag, obviously. With Chris Paul taking taking that max, they didn't have a lot of money left available, and they still have to figure out a way to, to sign Clint Capella, although they can go over to sign their own player. There's just a lot of movement going on in the league right now. and They have Capella's bird rights, so they, it, yeah, they, they're fine yeah, they, if they want to so go They can over. go over to sign him, but they just signed Michael Carter-Williams a bit ago, so they're for sure going to go over if they sign Capella, yeah. like 100%. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought and up— I, I didn't even mention Aaron Gordon. right. Right, Aaron Gordon staying in Orlando. Yeah, he gets twenty million a year. Four years, eighty-four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a hell of a market for some of these guys, and some guys are going to have to wait. I, I'm wondering for you with Lavar, or sorry, with Lonzo and LeBron, um, what's the what's the waiting process? Because I, you know, Rondo is going to play a lot regardless. We, you know, playoff Rondo, you know, was terrific. Obviously, as you saw firsthand. I I just wonder. With Lonzo, like, at some point, will he be reduced to being a role player? Because his shooting did improve. He was 37% from the floor the second half, which is still not good, but it was better. But LeBron is not here to, to babysit or wait for all these young guys to develop. And that's why I think the Lakers are playing, um, you know, or at least confident that LeBron will be able to attract marquee blue chip free agents. Um, whether that's now or I guess next summer at this point, but I I just I'm not so sure that it's the perfect fit or even a good fit because I I think there's going to be a lot of issues with Lonzo needing the ball not that not as a selfish player but that's how he's most effective over seven assists a game so you know what's the growth process there what's the uh, maturity process and really how much patience will LeBron have for that no I think you you pose a great question I was surprised they they ended up signing Rondo it made me think they have something they have something in the works potential plans to bring in another player and change the dynamic of the roster because Rondo's very ball dominant Lonzo Ball is very ball dominant and we all know LeBron is uh, is very ball dominant as well able to orchestrate an offense kind of put players in certain positions so you would think that they want to put as many shooters around him as possible. That's why I understand the the Contavious Caldwell Pope signing because he's a guy who's three and D. He can he can make shots. He can make mid yeah, mid range jumpers. He can career f- he's not a great three point shooter. Thirty eight percent last year, but career he's not. And Lance is only twenty nine. So you you're okay with those? I'm okay with those because the the amount of open looks they're going to get with LeBron on the, on the court. Not to mention okay. Rondo. Not to mention Lonzo Ball. Who, these are all. Great passers, guys who empower teammates. They make they make guys' percentages increase two two to five percent of percentage points just being on the court with them. So I would expect Pope to be able to knock down shots. I would expect Stevenson. He's going to have open lanes for days because you got Kyle Kuzma, you got Brandon Ingram, you got all these players who can slash and score. Which makes me think that bringing in Lance Stevenson, they may have some plans for one of those one of those large wings. Um, they got a lot of talent on that wing area. Even Josh Hart. Josh Hart can hoop as well. He's a very talented. Player, so it just makes me think that with Lonzo Ball and Rondo, two very very good passers who are ball dominant, who who don't really like to shoot jump shots, they will shoot them but don't really like to. It's going to be interesting to see the spacing if they decide to play them together, if they decide to stagger them, have Rondo back them up and kind of run the second unit. Um, I'm interested to see what's going to happen, and I'm sure Rondo, as competitive as he is, 
Uh, he's going to take the challenge and try to get that starting job by, what would we say, t- September 24th? Yeah. October? Sure, October sure. October 15th? Yeah, exactly. Well, I just wonder, I mean, listen, you know better than anybody that you have to surround LeBron with shooters because that's when he's most effective. And, you know, Ingram is terrific. He, he had a phenomenal year, and he's just getting started. And I think they're, you know, part of the issue with potentially getting Kawhi is that they're lukewarm on trading Ingram. I think they could sell high on Kuzma, although I'm not so sure they want to. Hart is available. Ingram has been available, but I'm not, I'm not sure that they really want to trade him. So to me, there's just a lot of question marks about if they could get Kawhi now, and, and I really don't think that that's going to happen at this point. And then really on a, on a higher level or a macro level, you know, how does all of this play out knowing that LeBron doesn't – he's not coming to L- – He's not coming to L.A. to mess around. We, he wants to win, and he's not going to deal with guys that can't make shots, as we saw in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's going to be interesting to see how competitive the Western Conference is. You know, a lot of teams are getting, getting better and continue to stay competitive, adding pieces, uh, figuring out ways to improve rosters. And you look at the Lakers, they're, they're a good young team right now. They add LeBron. You automatically have a chance to win a championship when you have LeBron because he's arguably the best player the league has seen you know these last I don't know five to eight years he's been very very dominant and disruptive and destructive but you know do you have room for error in the Western Conference you know you get the wrong seed you get matched up with the no. wrong team early on and that could be problematic right. you know you if you're a two seed you know you're playing you're playing the the seven seed and if you're a three seed you're playing the six seed and as we seen last season you know once, once you get past the you know the 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 top two teams in the Western Conference, the, the rest of the, the cluster is close. The, the talent level is close. The depth is close. And anything can happen on a given night. So uh, they have to tighten everything up, as, as all the teams in the league need to, to continue to be competitive and figure out ways to, to compete with the, with the juggernauts. But uh, I, I, I have no idea how this, how this thing is going to turn out for, for them as, as well as the rest of the NBA. Like you just have, yeah. You just have no no idea how the roster is going to look once the season starts because of the constant the constant movement. But I think that Trevor Reese leaving the Rockets is definitely going to hurt them. I think that's an underrated that player them. who, oh yeah, who did a, who did yeah. a lot for them, especially at the defensive end, and brought uh, the ability to knock down threes. And I'm actually surprised uh, he ended up leaving and going to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I mean he's perfect example of the new age three and D wing, um, and he's a perfect role player for Houston and. I'm glad he got paid. I, I, you brought up an interesting point about the West and and really just just assortment of wonderful players and teams. Two things: one, LeBron goes east to west. There's a lot of cupcakes in the East, or at least teams that you can, you don't need to bring. I guess 100 percent, or you tell me. But you know, teams like in the West, <laughs> I, I don't want to be just. Dis- you need to bring 100 percent against. No, everybody. I, I understand that, I, and I I didn't say that right because the NBA is brutal, and I understand how. These are all NBA players, but in the East, there are other teams. There's there's, there's a, a big, big gap, gap between between right. great teams and right. Not Whereas so great in the teams. West, I mean, we're we're talking about you know Minnesota, New Orleans, lower seeded teams that can beat anybody. And and then you think about Phoenix trying to win. The Clippers are trying to win now. There's really there's not a lot of teams that you can take off. And I I think with LeBron, you know he he set the terms now on his. Uh, you know, final streak where he leaves and maybe he doesn't get there again. But I'm sure he, he was very calculated. I think it was an emotional decision the first time he 
came back home to Cleveland. I think it was a basketball decision um, to to leave Miami, and I think this was a, a personal decision for for family. And and now he goes west. And you know, my long winded point here is that is this a good thing for the league? And taking it a step further, don't you think the NBA CJ needs to really consider reseeding to kind of con- you know restore the competitive balance of the league? I think it's a good thing for the league to be competitive. You know, when you're when you're the best team in the NBA or considered the best team in the NBA, you have to figure out ways to get better. And you're seeing the Warriors continue to figure out ways to improve. They're not getting content with the roster. They're trying to figure out ways to add pieces, figure out ways to uh, continue to develop internally by drafting Jordan Bell-like players, by, you know, finding those diamonds in the rough and Quinn Cook, players like that who can impact the roster, you know, be, be needed, be used as needed, whether somebody goes down with an injury, foul trouble, whatever the case may be. And you, you didn't even see Patrick McCall play as much because of the back uh, the back issues that he had from the fall in Sacramento. So, I mean, I don't knock them for continuing to be competitive and figuring out ways to get better. It's just so crazy how the cap fell in place for them. You look at Steph Curry's injury, you know, him having to take $44 million. That allows them to, to sign Kevin Durant because if he's on the books for the max, there's no way they can afford to get Kevin, Kevin Durant. And then KD takes a little bit less money each year, takes a little bit less, takes a little bit less, gives them that vet, that vet minimum or that vet exception to, to sign Boogie for $5 million. So things have fallen into place, and they've done a good job of taking advantage of certain situations. And as, as 50 Cent would say, you got to get the strap. you got to figure out a way to get better, figure out a way to improve. Improve, dig down deep internally, um, externally, uh, search, and go out there and, and do whatever is necessary to get a win. I think that's how the rest of the league is looking. Everybody's trying to be competitive. You got the Dallas Mavericks going to get DeAndre Jordan. You got you got the Phoenix Suns. You got certain teams who are making moves. Even the Indiana Pacers. You know they got an underrated signing. Doug McDermott, who can shoot, he's a very, very good shooter uh, coming out of Creighton. And then you have Tyreek Evans, who's coming off arguably the best year he's had since his rookie year. Um, in Sacramento, you know, putting up basically 25 and 5, shooting 40 from 3, 39 from 3. So a lot of teams are continuing to improve, and I think it's good. It's good for the league to see teams get better. And team, a team like the Warriors puts pressure on the, rest the, on the rest of the NBA because you have to try to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, figure out ways to compete with the, with the, right. with the title contenders, the guys who are going to be in that conversation for a title every year. You look at the Rockets, what are they doing? They win guys CP. They max CP, I give them four years, $160 million. They, they continue to try to find pieces because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a lot of pieces. And in terms of the seating, I think it's something they're thinking about. There's always discussions and rumors about potentially doing this seeding, but it's hard because let's say you get a, a 16 seed or a 15 seed like the Miami Heat and they're playing a West Coast team, hypothetically. That's a lot of travel to go from Miami, which is basically south, to the utmost point, the utmost point of the NBA roster, which will be us. You know, you get one of those teams in the Bay Area, you get one of those teams in LA, and you're looking at a five and a half, six hour flight in between games for an entire series, which could be brutal. So I think that's one of the things they're trying to figure out. And then you have the competitive landscape of, you know, the history of the game. There has never been one through 16 seating. So there's that, that kind of changes, you know, the game. They got, you have to put an asterisk by the year that we start doing that because it'll change the competitive balance. And yeah, you, no. you never know who's going to make it out yeah. at that point once you go one to 16 seating. But I would like to see it happen, honestly. I don't mind the flying, I don't mind the travel. We do it anyway. Let's line them up one through 16 and get it in early. If it's going to be East versus West teams early, then that's what the case may be. But I think the players. Or with whatever, honestly, at this point. We're just trying to get as many great games in as possible, play for as long as we can, and make this game as fun as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, 
to me, the NBA has done such a great job of adapting and evolving. I think the NFL is is lacked in that category, and that's a big reason why, for many people, the NBA is, as to your your point earlier, the premier league in the world. So, to me, adapting is necessary here. Reseeding is a healthy thing. I think, you know, the way that the CBA was was bargained, collectively bargained, the the league probably didn't anticipate all these players forming these super teams, but now that we're in this position, I think it's a good thing for the NBA to adapt and really consider playoff reseeding because, you know, whether or not you like what's happened with, with the NBA and, and the West, you know, as we talked about, competitive balance, parity, these are all good things. And I, I just, I, I would love to see it selfishly. And it's good to hear a, a player who's played a lot of playoff games say that, that you would be really receptive to it. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it at all. If they can figure out a way to make the travel work, and from a from a competitive standpoint, I think it would be great for the fans. It'd be great for the league. People would be able to see certain matchups that they wouldn't normally get to see because of you know teams getting beat in the first round. You get a competitive eight seed in the Western Conference, you know, to play against the Eastern Conference team early on, or to play against a, a lower level Western Conference team. I think you get some competitive matchups early, and then it's more NCAA tournament style. But there's the series, so even if you get lucky and win one game, the best team is winning that series. Whereas in college basketball, it could be one person's night, foul trouble, injury happens, and it kind of changes the entire dynamic of a roster. You, you just opened the door for me. Lehigh Duke, best of seven. Who wins? Um, <laughs> best of seven? <laughs> best of seven. Neutral floor. Neutral floor. Neutral floor. We weren't we weren't at a neutral floor. We beat them in their backyard in Carolina. So you did beat them. That's he, true. You take us. You take us. You take us to was the middle in, of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Was that was that in Greensboro? We might we might we might win in five. Yeah, it was in Greensboro. Okay. All right. Fine. So honestly, why don't we say, honestly, I th- I think we could have beat them. I could have beat. I think we could have beat them four four out of seven wow. times because the matchups. The matchups. We had the better player. Me. <laughs> I love it. I was it the so best player much. in the court. It's the truth. Being the best player on the court, on the court allowed allowed me to control the game, dictate the game, attract attention, empower my teammates, make everybody around me better, feel more comfortable, and then everybody just stepped up and was hungry. And I think that, you know, a lot of times those kids go to those big schools, they're not as hungry because they they haven't struggled, they haven't gone through the the, the ice baths and the trash cans, they haven't gone through not being in a Nike elite school to where we we only got a few of everything. You know, obviously I'm in a position to to provide more opportunities for the university and for the basketball program, but we were a mid-major school with a mid-major budget, which means we lived a mid-major lifestyle, taking eight-hour bus rides, nine-hour bus rides. So when you get a chance to play on TV, you're hungry. You're a little bit more hungry than the next person because this is it. That's my only chance to play on the big stage against a, a highly ranked team, you know, that has a great following, eight nine eight nine million viewers on CBS. It don't get no bigger than that. And, and where I come from, that's how we built. Man, we rise to the occasion on the big stage, and that's what I did. And I think that a best of seven series wouldn't have affected me. It would have just made my stock rise higher. There's a there's a point in that game, not to go all Lehigh Duke, but it's it's just it's so much fun. There's a point in that game where. It's late. There's a few minutes left. I think you guys are up one or two, and you're you're holding the ball about 40 feet out, and there's a screen coming. You you you, you gesture to wait, and the announcer is saying, "I think you know it might be somebody else take this shot." And then you cross left to right and bang a three, and that really you, you know what I'm talking about. Remember that shot? Yeah, it was like this. Would, this would be an opportunity for him to to set up something for one of his teammates, <laughs> and then I I do an in and out crossover three. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. And then you just bang a, a a killer three. Is was that the point in that game where you thought you were going to win? I mean, I know you thought you were going to win the whole time, but 
Is that the point when you said, okay, we really got it? Yeah, at that point I knew. I mean, I knew earlier in the game, but that was the dagger. That was the, you heard him say, bang, where it was like their heart just kind of dropped. You know what I'm saying? Like they felt like, wow, we can't stop him. <laughs> we can't beat them. That was uh, that was some game. I think, I think that was one of the first times that most people really got to see you play. So you, you must have been extra motivated just so you could – really show out on a national stage for the first time. Exactly, exactly. I was excited, man. I was hyped about the opportunity and knew that that was that was that was it for me. That was make or break. That was how you put your name in the put your name in the conversation with some of the greats, some of the great assassins in college basketball who've been able to knock off the big boys. I know Steve Nash had did it, you know, at Santa Clara being a 15 seed, being a 2 seed. I knew some other players that had did it and ended up in the NBA. So I felt like that was that was my way in. What did Coach K say to you after that game? He just said, great game. You're a hell of a player. Uh, best of luck in the future, basically. But after uh, the game, he said I was the best player in the court in the press conference. That's right. Which is, which is a very, very nice gesture in his part. When did you actually hear him say that? Was it live or did somebody tell you later? I did you hear what Coach K said? I seen it later. Somebody texted me. Somebody texted me uh, the quote. Were you were you like okay? I was I was I, like I, yeah, that must have been amazing. I, I just the modern day John Wooden saying you were the best player on the floor. Let's just real recognize real. That's how I felt, man. I felt like he was just telling the truth, and yeah, I think anybody that watched that game seen the same thing. Yeah. Um, okay, we got. I, I there's a lot to hit on that we haven't, and I I almost get overwhelmed. And you know me, I get I want to do everything. My my last question of the day is. Um, what what should be the Spurs' uh, San Antonio's you know approach here now with with Kawhi now that um, you know obviously they they have not been able to get a deal done. I, I think I reported two days ago that they had asked Philadelphia for three first round picks Sheesh. and two players, neither of which were Simmons or Embiid. So you know you think about that, you think about the Lakers, the Celtics not wanting to deal Tatum or really deal Brown. So is patience the key? Because at the same time, you don't want to lose leverage and wait till the 19th, till February 19th with the deadline. I think the Spurs are just worried about continuing to build from within. Okay. You know, they drafted some explosive wings um, in college basketball. Uh, Lonnie Walker, I don't think he did very well in his first uh, summer league game, but I think he's an explosive guard who they're looking to kind of mold and you know get him some playing time. And then you, you go get Rudy Gay, you bring him back, you bring back Marco Bellinelli, who um, had some time away from the from the organization. But they're figuring out ways to get some wing wing threats, scorers, shooters, versatile guys, because they can see what what appears to be inevitable, him leaving at some point, whether that be through free agency or via trade. But I think they're also at the stage where they're not going to just give him up to anyone. And I don't think they want to give him up to the Lakers unless it's for a Kuzma-like player. They don't want, I don't think they want Lonzo Ball. I'm not even sure if they want Ingram, but maybe they would take Ingram as well. But I think that they don't want to give him up to a competitor in the Western Conference. And I think the Spurs are the type of organization that would be willing to play this whole year out and let him walk for nothing as opposed to giving him up to someone unless they can get the, the right amount of pieces. So, okay. The, if they let him walk though, isn't that the ultimate, you know, worst case scenario? You you think that's okay? If they let him walk? I mean, I feel like you want to get as many assets as possible. I think that's that's crucial. Gather assets. That's why they're going after first round picks because they usually draft well. They develop their players well, so 
Um, I think you go after as many assets as possible if you do trade them. But in the meantime, you try to figure out a way to keep them. Yeah, I mean. Because he is Kawhi Leonard, arguably. Yeah. Arguably one of the best players in the league. I know they love Murray, and that's why I'd, I'm just not sure the ball thing would work out. And then, you know, some of the drama with Pop, I, I just don't see it. But, okay, so patience. Patience is, is the C.J. McCollum plan for the Spurs. Okay, I I could see that. I just. Yeah, you got to be patient. Yeah, I'm, I'm just um, curious that the relationship is so severed and that we've gotten to this position where they obviously feel like it cannot be fixed. So it's a fascinating situation for one of the league's, you know, really 10-pole franchises at this point just because of how well and how quiet they usually keep things. You know, they were able to fix the DeMarcus Aldridge situation. With Kawhi, it doesn't seem like uh, it can get to that point. Um, so it's, it's, it's really intriguing and, I think, unprecedented for San Antonio. Okay. I think uh, I think it's wine time. I think it's definitely wine time. Cue, cue the wine music, please. Okay, man, it's been a long week, as I said before. Bachelor party events, um, you know, going out, enjoying the fruits of labor throughout the season. I celebrating a great, great time for my homie Bimar, who's going to be getting married soon. So, not only were we on the down, Julio, 1942, but we switched things up. We switched things up and. I actually recently liked it so much I had to order it. The Duck Horn uh, Vineyard. It is a very, very, very good wine. So good. I ordered four bottles of them. I recommend them for those out there who, for those of you out there who are looking to explore a stronger, bolder taste, a versatile wine that can be paired with a lot of different things. Um, it has a 4.6 rating over Vino with over 1,700 ratings. And I would recommend going for the Vintage 2012 if possible because why not? Most liquor stores sell it. You can get it in, in Napa, obviously. It's, it's among the top 1% of all wines in the world. And for those of you out there who like a great, sexy, smooth, velvety, Bordeaux style blend according to some of the reviews that's what you're going to get and it is one of the better tastes one of the better tasting you know reds I've had in a while it's ripe and it's good with beef deer poultry and lamb wow that's a hell of a description and that's my recommendation for the week that is one impressive description <laughs> I, I gotta tell you I mean if you do not if, if the basketball thing doesn't work out, I think sommelier is the next <laughs> next career. I got a long way to go to get to that point, but I can always tell people my feelings and thoughts on something. You really love that wine. I mean, no, Duckhorn is beautiful wine. There's one of the one of the real favorites of the uh, Schultel Soap. Okay, for me, uh, I went a little bit different. I went to the Hartford Family Winery Pinot. Uh, I think I got it for forty or forty-five, and it was a really nice kind of a little heavier Pinot. But it was beautiful, Russian River Valley, California, um, and just a, a great wine that you could drink, I think, all summer long. And that's kind of what I'm looking for at this point, CJ. I, I like the, the everyday Pinots that kind of go with everything. So I'll, as, I, as I continue to go down this Pinot path, I'll continue sending you my, my favorite wines. But uh, this definitely was uh, in very good wine, I, I got to tell you. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Send me, send me the the name via text so I can put it in my Vivino and order that up for the both of us to enjoy. I still got some wine I got to give you when I get back to New York that I haven't delivered yet. It's in... Well, I still have the the Ottoman that's ruined. Yeah, I know. I, I need to fix that too. Don't worry. I'm just going to slip some money in the house somewhere <laughs> and you're going to end up finding it eventually. All but right. 
We want to thank all our listeners for tuning in faithfully, man. You can follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at CJ McCollum on Instagram at 3J McCollum on Snap at CJM313. You can follow Jordan at Schultz underscore report on Twitter and Instagram, Jordan Schultz on Facebook. And please tweet at us. I'm going to have some, some nice, nice, nice guests coming on here in the near future. Going to be in Vegas for a bit. Going to grab some players. And if not, I'll make some players call in because why not? And always, remember, don't forget to pull up. Pull up.